Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. You know, we did an episode where we really talked about what we were looking forward to in terms of players in baseball or like baseball in general, like the whole the whole sport. What was there to look forward to for this upcoming year? Because there's so many things going on and it's like so crazy, all the information that James throws at me all the time and everything. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, there's so many things we have to look out for. And so James and I did an episode about looking forward to pitchers. Yes. And now James is going to talk about the other side of things where we're lo- what are we looking forward to in terms of you know the the pure offense you know the batters like what what's going on James. well i mean we have to throw in like the defense and the, the base running uh, as well we the do. position yes. players yes. For yes. Sure. yes position players yeah so it, i'll tell you it is we've not seen a league this deep of athletes and powerful athletes i think at any point in baseball history i think we're really at this this kind of prime for if it comes, you know, over looking at evaluation and understanding uh, how great these talents are in this era. I think we're at a prime for baseball in general. Um, yes, you know, obviously athletes can keep getting better and they will to a certain point, but this is the best and deepest I've ever seen. Um, you have guys who can play so many different positions. You have guys who've got so many different types of abilities and, and, and skills in the way that they produce. Um, I'm just going to make my way around because there are just so many, I, I, you know, why not? Let's just start at shortstop. I actually did a, a podcast with baseball guy, Sean, doing the top 15 shortstops in the league, top 10, five honorable mentions. Definitely check that out. It should be uploaded before the end of spring training on his channel. I know he kind of wants to upload all of the position player and pitching videos one day after another. So um, it'll definitely be a series. Um But yeah, you know what? Let's talk about shortstops for a second. I mean, everybody knows Fernando Tatis is a stud. He can steal home. He can play a great shortstop. He can hit homers. I think all of the projections for next year, they have him right around on average because the projection systems, they average the worst possible season and the best possible season. And they have the middle numbers and the middle numbers have him as basically a 39 home run hitter. Um, I don't know how many better players are, in the big leagues than Tatis, like Trout, obviously, but like not very many others. And he just signed a deal, like 14 year deal worth like $340 million. That's his whole career. Um, yeah, he, he, he's absolutely worth it. Phenomenal talent. Uh, we're going to see him at shortstop for years on end. And like I said, not, not just a guy who can hit for power and be aggressive and play a good shortstop, but also a guy who can like run the bases and is one of the best at stealing home of anyone in the show. Uh, You got Trey Turner, who's also one of the best base runners in the game. He emerged last year offensively. I was not expecting anything close to the kind of season he had. He batted right around 350. He was slugging the ball too. And now he's a righty, you know? Soto, who's on the same team, is a lefty. And with Trey Turner's base running ability, I mean, you can go... Turner three, Soto four, if you want. And those are your two middle of the order hitters. Cause now Turner's not just a guy who gets on base to be driven in. He can also drive runs in righty lefty. That works awesome. And I think that that, that makes the nationals pretty underrated entering this year, because a lot, a lot of people still have the perception 
that Turner is the same guy. He's middle of the order now. You got uh, Corey Seager, who had a huge breakout year, basically putting everything together that he's been trying to do his whole career. He put the power together with the uh, uh, with the lack of uh, strikeouts. He put it with an aggressive approach, unlike the patient approach that would foul pitches off to get to more hittable pitches that he had early in his career. The defense was there. Base running was there. I mean, everything that you could want in Corey Seager was there. Even his expected statistics on baseball savant, those were backing him up. Uh, Javi Baez, if he has a bounce back year, he's basically a light version of Fernando Tatis. Great defense at shortstop, some of the best in the game. One of the most aggressive hitters in the game. And when he's on, he can hit anything and hit it for power. Um, Also capable of stealing home. Very, very, very underrated player. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him just because he had one down year in 2020 without the juiced ball. Um, I think people typically with his type of swings, uh, I mean, his swing, he doesn't keep even most hands on the bat like throughout the whole swing. Um, Not to mention that he drops the bat head on the ball, which in a year where the juiced ball is going away will induce more ground balls. So it's natural that he, he had a year like that in such a shortened season where he couldn't figure things out. I think a big season's coming from him. Then you got Trevor Story, who great defense, great base running, which has improved the last few years. Like the big talk a couple of years ago was that he's a great uh, defender now, and he is. But now over literally 2019 and 2020, he's turned into one of the game's best base runners. And like, we're not just talking about BSR either, like first to third type of speed tagging up type of speed we're also talking about stolen bases he's stealing consistently above 25 bases per year and he's hitting consistently above 33 home runs per year um now does colorado help him absolutely i mean colorado is a ballpark that anyone who hits the ball in the air where the ball spins the ball is going to keep traveling that being said he's had next to no lineup protection his whole career it's been two guys. It's been Arenado, who's now gone. And it's been Blackman, who's been in, in decline and really only succeeds to the degree he does in result stats rather than park adjusted because of the park. So if you're going from that situation, stories like, say, he's a free agent after the year, you know, uh, if he were to leave Colorado, I don't think there would be that much of a fall off in numbers because he'd probably be going to a contender and contenders have a built lineup. So he'd get lineup protection, similar numbers. Um, and then of course, the fact that he's such an aggressive hitter, if there was any sort of decline, he could dial in to just operate mainly in and around the zone. His walks would go up. Um, power would, he'd, he'd pull more balls. A lot of the in-play power would go into out-of-play power. And it would allow him to sustain a level of performance that is consistent with his current. That being said, um, yeah, no, I think, I think this is one of the most talented players in the game, Trevor Story. Uh, Frankie Lindor had a bit of a down 2020. Um, but, like, this is also – we're talking about one of the best players of our generation. Uh, he's changing leagues to a league that doesn't know him. He's going to a team that gives him more lineup protection than Lindor has ever had. Uh, I see at minimum one or two more really good Lindor seasons happening. That being said, I do see a fall off. He's never, he was never supposed to hit like this in the minors. His two best hitting seasons, 2018, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. And his rookie year, which they didn't really know him and he was very polished. 
The rest of the time he's been in the show, he's been about 15, 17% above league average. And I don't think he's that anymore. I think you're looking at a guy who's definitely above league average, sure, but not dramatically so. However, you don't need to be dramatically so if you're an elite shortstop defensively, which he is. If you don't have any problems with contact, which he doesn't, if you can hit righties and lefties evenly, he's a switch hitter. And if you have a decent walk rate, so you are getting on base in addition to whatever else you're doing. Um, and he has all those things going for him. Um, definitely one of those guys who gets better under pressure, both offensively, defensively, and on the bases. Uh, you have to remember to watch him uh, and enjoy watching him because he's only got a couple more years of being an elite all-around talent before the decline starts to kick in. And if you're going to keep him as an all-around talent at that point, you're probably looking at more of a second baseman, um, which is going to surprise a lot of people because Lindor has been a, a great defender, but he's always had an arm that was more reliant on a quick release. And his body has never been a shortstop body. It's always been more of a second baseman's body. Same thing with his foot, his footwork and his, um, and his, uh, uh, his foot speed specifically. Uh, you, you're looking at a guy who would be one of the better second basemen in the league for like maybe the next six, seven years if he transitions. But as a shortstop, you're not looking at uh, an elite talent past probably the next two seasons. Um, Didi Gregorius coming out of Tommy John's surgery further, adjusting further to the National League, uh, having another year without the juiced ball. Uh, I see another bigger, a bigger season than he's had even last year. Um, I think he's probably going to do something similar or better to the last season that he had in New York before getting injured which was 2018. Um, and then you add on the defense that, you know, I would be coming around that a lot of people are, are dinging Didi. They think he's not that great of a defender. I mean, he's been for many seasons, a good defender. He was just coming back from Tommy John surgery. Um, he's going to have a great year. He's with Philly again, but he's only on a two year deal. So there's a high chance that he uh, either gets traded if Philly can't do nothing or hits the open market in a couple, in literally two seasons when he's still going to be effective. Jose Iglesias finally emerged as a legitimate above average hitter last year, hitting for contact and being the regular elite defender that he is. I'm actually really interested, interested in what happens to him because he did great as a hitter playing for Baltimore. They have no lineup protection whatsoever. And now he's joining the Los Angeles angels, which have Upton trout Fowler, Otani, Anthony Rendon, David Fletcher and Kurt Suzuki around him. So he might end up hitting for more power than people would thought uh, would, have, would have thought rather. Um, I don't think he's going to do anything close to what he did last year. I believe Iglesias was about 62% above league average. Um, I do think he's going to hit in three hundreds. I do think he could hit 40 double power, 10 homer power, something in there or 30 double power, 20, uh, 20 homer power. Um, but I don't see him being like 25 homers, 24 homers, like 21, maybe maximum. Um, but with his defense, that's a superstar player. You get to Xander Bogarts. He's the same guy. He's always been in Boston. The last three years, he's been middle of the order too. Uh, I'd like to see his base running come back a little bit to where it was earlier in the career. He never was a great base runner because of foot speed. It was always decision-making. So if he can hit like he does now and bring back that base running. That's really cool. Although it's, possible that he's not running the bases as aggressively or the way he could because you know he doesn't have as much lineup protection he's counted on more when he does get on base to not get out um you know they bring back lineup protection to boston he's probably you know the same guy on the bases uh glaber torres 
down year last year, it was honestly an extension of his sophomore slump. Uh, every player goes through him, especially younger players in the league. He's going to be 24 all of next year. His second year in the league, uh, technically speaking, even with the incorporated sophomore slump, uh, the juice ball kind of mitigated that, if we're being fair. He hit 38 homers. So even if you're going to take that, that out-of-play power and you're going to say, okay, now he's making the adjustments coming back to the league, but without the juice ball, it's going to be in-play power. Now you're looking at like a three, 310 hitter, something like that, with at least 25 bombs um, and decent shortstop defense. I don't think he's going to be a great defender, but I don't think he's going to make a lot of errors. I think he's going to position himself well. And I think with LeMahieu and Urshela around him, maybe you could get that kind of the young semi-in effect that those two teams had making his defense play up because he can play further back and he's got good hands and a strong arm. Um, but we'll see. He's more of an offensive player to me. Then you got Tim Anderson, who since he was in the minor leagues, I remember like very early on, I mean, this is a guy who before he was even a baseball player was like a basketball football guy. He, he got onto baseball very late, but he's, he's you know, a complete athlete and has, you know, honestly one of the best bat flips in the game. He is a fantastic ball player. The only thing that I got to say about him is that a lot of people are wary because he's not the greatest defender and a lot of his offense is off the BABIP. But this is a guy who, and I was going to say this earlier, this is a guy who, when they were coming up through the minor leagues, the scouting report was that every time I see him, he gets leaps and bounds better. He is one of the hardest workers out there and season by season, he just gets better at everything. He's one of the fastest improvers that we've seen. And this has continued at the big league level to the point where, yes, in 2019, with the juice ball, he did so well. But 2020, without the juice ball, he produced for the same level of in-play power and even more out-of-play power while having basically the same rates in terms of uh, aggression, walk rate, you know, all of that. Um, however, he hasn't yet mastered defense, and I would like to see a little bit more out-of-play power before I completely buy into the Babbitt games. Like Austin Jackson had a very similar pro profile to this uh, back in the day for the Detroit Tigers. And he was a very much a batting average on balls and play guy over his out of play power. But last year we saw the ISO of Anderson go up to above 200. So I believe Anderson actually has the ability to get to uh, that out of play power, has the ability to keep you know, pulling the balls he's hitting successfully in play and elevating them uh, with his type of approach. I think eventually he'll end up dialing in the zone, but I don't think he's there yet. I think you're looking at one of the quicker advancing players. I think he's, you know, heading straight into his prime over the next two, three years. Um, big things coming from Tim Anderson. If you're a White Sox fan, watch out for him. Like, you know, look, if you're a White Sox fan, you already know about him, but like he's going to do even bigger things. So be excited. You have the reason to be. Um, Dansby Swanson actually had the best base running numbers in major league baseball last year. It wasn't anyone else. It was him. I don't think he's the best base runner, but I think he's one of the better base runners in the game. Offensively, his WRC plus goes up every year. He does this despite having an aggressive profile and it's because he gains power every year. So as a guy who's that good of a base runner, who is an aggressive profile, who gets better every year off of power hitting and who is a great defensive shortstop. He's one of the best well-rounded players in all of baseball. Then we got Andrelton Simmons, who probably will be about a singles hitter, average around 300. I think he'll hit for a little bit more power than he did last year, next year. 
Um, I think you're looking at maybe somewhere between league average and 10% above, probably about 5% above league average uh, with the bat. Anything more than that is great because in Drelton Simmons, and this is not hyperbole, he's the best defender in Major League Baseball history. There's been guys who have put together defensive years, a couple of them here or there, that are on that level. Simmons does it every year he's healthy. He puts together a historic defensive season at shortstop every season he's healthy. Um, so you add the defense to the offense being tolerable, decent, slightly above average, and a contact hitter. And you add the fact that he's also a pretty decent base runner, not the worst, not the best, but above average. And you're dealing with one of the better well-rounded players in baseball as well. Then you have Orlando Arcia, not a superstar, but he was a top 10 prospect. So one day he could be, he gets better by a little bit every single year, last four or five years in his four years, his exit velocity has gone up each year. Last three years, his strikeout rate has gone down each year. And also last three years, in terms of not just, oh, I'm hitting the ball harder, sure, but the results were there for hitting the ball harder. He hit for higher isolated powers, out-of-play power, each of the last three years. And I was worried that it would be a compromise of his in-play power because in 2019, his in-play power went down when his out-of-play power went up. But come 2020, even without the juiced ball, the in-play power came back. So as a guy who was a top 10 prospect in baseball, tools are there. As a guy who's a good base runner a, a good defender and 26 years old heading right into his prime getting better every year hitting the ball harder uh getting more power results not just hitting it harder but actually getting the results because you could be hitting, you could be hitting it hard on the ground you know um and then also at the same time lowering the strikeout rate without losing any sort of in-play power and sustaining the walk rate it's not like he became more aggressive or whatever all the strikeout rate collapsing all, all of that contact comes from success for power within the strike zone. So or RC, I think, is a very underrated player. Um, Nick Ahmed early last season strained his shoulder after getting better per WRC plus for about four seasons in a row. Uh, last year, he held steady without the juiced ball. He had about as good a season as he did in his uh, uh, 2019 season with the juice ball. Um, and he admitted, apparently, that he had a strained shoulder that he entered the year with that led to like the first 10 games of the season, not being very good for Nick Ahmed, but the rest of the season, Nick Ahmed hit three Oh six. He had a slugging percentage in the four hundreds, stole four bases were not caught once He had, I believe 20 doubles, one triple. And I think five homers during that period of time. Um, and as a player that's been getting better and better offensively, this might be officially the emergence year for Nick Ahmed who actually went to high school with one of my friends, um, although they don't really directly know him. It's still cool to say. Um, yeah, right? Um, and Nick Ahmed is also a phenomenal defender and an above average and improving base runner. So I think, you know, with Ahmed, he is one of those rare examples of polish and athleticism coming together with hard work to, over time, create a well-rounded and kind of elite ball player. Because if you add elite defense to plus plus base running to a 300 hitter with an aggressive approach and at, at minimum, like, you know, around 20 homers, 18 home runs as a total package at shortstop, that's is very, very valuable. Um, you know, moving over to second base, second base, a lot less talented. So we can move real quick here. 
Uh, David Fletcher's basically a contact bat, but because he's like a Pedroia type hitter, willing to swing at literally anything if it's hittable for him, and he makes so such easy contact that he 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 does a lot of redirectional stuff inside and outside the zone. So despite the fact that he doesn't hit the ball hard at all, this is real. His production is real. Uh, it's all fields. No one can predict where it's going to go, and it's hard enough hit and diverse enough hit. He's making enough contact that enough will fall in that the slugging percentage is sustainable, at least for doubles and triples. Um, he's one of the better defenders in the game, great at turning double plays. I'm sure Fletcher could also play shortstop or third base if he needed to. Uh, Colton Wong just left the Cardinals. I don't really like that move, but I guess they're really doubling down on offense in the short term. Here they're putting Carpenter at second base in a platoon with like Edmund. Don't really like that. Uh, I know Edmund's also going to play, you know, Elsewhere, he's a switch hitter, but I don't really like that personally. Uh, I guess you got to give Carp Carpenter a good send off, and he is uh, probably going to heat up by like the last month of the season. So if they're in the playoffs, that could be big things. But still, I like Holton Wong a lot better. I like Holton Wong because every year, year in, year out, tolerable numbers on, on base percentage, batting average, slugging percentage. And if you're going to look at WRC+, plus, see how he does versus the league average, he's always right around league average. Now, that wouldn't really be that great because he's not consistently above league average. However, as a guy who's right around league average with an aggressive profile, the aggressive profile plays up versus higher levels of pitching, but also he's a lefty. That plays up against righties. And then on top of that, he's one of the better base runners in Major League Baseball. And when you deal with base runners, you don't need them to do anything but hit at a league average level. See Brett Gardner. If you can put up BSRs, between four points, well, really 4.5 or higher. I only need you to be about a league average hitter for me. And not only is he a league average hitter for me, but he's not doing it from just being patient and walking without, without being able to do anything of impact. He's actually a lefty hitter, does better versus righties. And actually, you know, versus righties specifically, he's above league average. And in, that's the majority of games. You can even platoon him and he'll still get a full season of playing time. But he's also one of the best base runners. So if he does get on base, you put him first, he's going to be moving multiple bases for whatever you're doing after a single will score him. So I love Wong. A lot of people are, are kind of like not that big on him. I don't get it. He was also a former top prospect. So there's also the upside where if he got lineup protection and a possibly a better ballpark or was platooned a bit more, that more offense could be there. So big fan of Colton Wong, uh, super underrated guy uh, moving on, get to Alzi Albies switch hitter. Didn't really get to show who he, you know, usually is. Last year was too short of a season for him to get his lefty swing in line. His lefty swing's not as natural as his righty swing. Uh, that being said, powerful switch hitter, knows how to pull the ball, gets on base, really runs the bases, phenomenal defender. Um, he actually, early on in the minors, he was a shortstop, but then they started grooming him at second because they knew Swanson was going to be the shortstop. So if he was on any other team, he'd probably be a shortstop. And if you have a guy like that who makes that much contact, who's a switch hitter, who's that good of a defender, who's got a small strike zone, so it's hard to pitch to them, who is also a phenomenal base runner. He's one of the better base runners in the game. Very healthy guy. He's, he's going to be great for a while. I mean, I hope, you know, like he's exciting to watch. So I hope he's good for a while. Smaller guys, sometimes their power goes a little bit quicker. But if his power goes he's going to be a great base runner. He'll concentrate on that side of the game. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to be this kind of hitter when he was coming up from the minors. He was very much viewed 
as like a leady, a lead off speedy, leady, lead off speedy kind of hitter. He was very much viewed as the kind of guy who could um, balance out lineups. Because if you also have a guy like that who's a switch hitter, it doesn't matter what pitcher's on the mound. You know, you have that consistency in the one spot. You know, righty, okay, he'll bat lefty. Lefty, okay, he'll bat righty. Um, that's Albies for you. And then another switch hitter at second base as well, who I think is really going to take over the position full-time from Cronenworth and from possibly Kim. I think that's Profar. Profar emerged in the second half of last year. The year before that was his sophomore slump. And the year before that was his real official full big league season where he was ready. Now, before that, he'd gotten shoulder injuries and surgeries, very dramatic ones. He had been rushed up from the minors. He, you know, like he had a lot of, a lot of trouble acclimating, but this was also one of the guys with the highest baseball IQs around. This was also a switch hitter with unbelievable athleticism. This was also at one point, the number one prospect in baseball. And he was being given comparisons to Derek Jeter. And now he's panning out. So it's beautiful to see jerks and Profar big year, 2021. Um, then he got LeMahieu. I don't need to say nothing about him. He's been in the MVP conversation each of the last two years. Last year, he got even better, dropped the, the strikeout rate off a cliff, increased the power, one of the best hitters in baseball, one of the most underrated defenders in baseball, one of the better multi-positional stars in baseball. Nothing bad to say about DJ, DJ LeMahieu. Like, I'm a Yankee fan, so I could go on about him. I'm not going to. It's obvious. He's a stud. Uh, Jeff McNeil, the crosstown guy who's taken over for former Yankee Robinson Cano, who's missing the season due to suspension. It's a really shame. It's a big, big shame that he's, he's, he's missing the season for that because if I'm being completely honest, Cano's one of my favorite hitters. Still hasn't really declined, at least dramatically, after all of these years. But now you got to think, is that steroids? So big shame, big problem. I don't like that. Um, just kind of sucks. But hey, he's being replaced by Jeff McNeil. Fantastic contact lefty bat. He gets comparisons to Ichiro. Jeff McNeil, funny enough, he actually invented a play. Not many, not many people out there can say that. You know, like the like Jeter Jeter invented the jump throw. Okay. Jeff McNeil, because they put netting up on the sides of the field. Jeff McNeil invented the I'm gonna catch it at full speed running so I can get the maximum out of my range, and then I'm gonna jump into the net so that I'm not killing myself. <laughs> so he's a great player, uh, fantastic contact skill, could win a batting title if things break right for him. I worry because he wasn't a top prospect, although he did move very quickly, and those types of guys can kind of dodge prospect lists. Uh, so then we got uh, Jonathan Scope, should not be playing for the Detroit Tigers, needs lineup protection, very aggressive hitter in two of the three months of last year. His batting average was above 300, and his slugging percentage was significant before he got hurt and had a rough last month of the season. I think he actually would have gotten signed by a bigger team if he hadn't had that month. Um, but he's back with the Tigers, probably going to be a trade chip for them at the deadline. They need prospects. It works. Uh, then you got Tommy LaStella, new second baseman. He's going to be platooning with Wilmer Flores, which is great for the San Francisco Giants. Walks a lot, hits for a lot of power, hits for decent average, never strikes out. Um, what's really interesting about LaStella is he's not a good base runner. He's not a good defender. And he also can't hit lefties at all. But he hits righties so well, and righties are the majority of the league, that you have to have him mentioned on any sort of top list. 
Uh, then there's Josh Harrison, another player who was kind of lost to the ages. He played for teams that gave him no sort of lineup protection, or like Detroit, or teams that, and, and Pittsburgh also, but or teams that were kind of looking at him as more of a bench piece or as a platoon candidate. Josh Harrison just needs lineup protection. He's a top of the lineup guy, a leadoff hitter type, a good base runner. And if he gets lineup protection every time he's had it, every time, even when he was back with Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh, that those, those couple of years that they were able to give it to him, he was an above average hitter. And if you have him being an above average hitter with his level of base running, which again, like last year, Josh Harrison was an above average hitter for the Washington Nationals as an everyday player on their roster. He's back with them this year. They have even more lineup protection. He's going to be at the top of the order with Trey Turner and a couple of other guys. I'm a big fan of Josh Harrison. He can play a plus-plus defensive second baseman, but he can also play a plus-plus defensive third base. He can play a plus-plus defensive right field, and he can also play a plus-plus defensive left field. Very underrated player. You should check out his splits versus righties and lefties. Lefties, he's got more power. Righties, he's got more on base percentage. And he does that purposefully to keep himself above league average versus both handedness. One of the smarter players out there. Love him. Love Josh Harrison. Um, his play style is also very similar to Jackie Robinson, which is it's a good throwback. Um, and then the last second baseman is Ty France. Now, Ty France absolutely lit up the minor leagues. He was a student of Tony Gwynn at San Diego uh, State University. Uh, before you know Tony Gwynn of course passed and Tony Gwynn of course was the guy known to be the closest hitter to hitting 400 since Ted Williams well Ty France in triple a uh, yes with the juice ball sure but he's a great hitter nonetheless Ty France hit 398 399 one or the other so he was right within the Tony Gwynn range except one level lower with the juiced ball that being said this year people don't know Ty France Ty France is very polished. He's got a good swing. I think this year he goes off. Next year, people get to know him and his approach, and he drops off a bit. But this year, watch out for Ty France with the Seattle Mariners. Moving on to first base. Brandon Belt went off last year. We were waiting for Brandon Belt to be healthy, have some sort of semblance of lineup protection. They moved the fences in a little bit in San Francisco to help out the lefties, and lefties across San Francisco went off. Uh, Yastrzemski went off. Uh, Belt went off. I think Belt had one of the best offensive seasons that we'll see from a first baseman, you know, at any point in time. If he can repeat it, because not only that, he's a lefty and he's a great defender, you're looking at one of the more valuable players in baseball. And he's also kind of forgotten. You know, uh, last time Brandon Belt was relevant, the Giants were still in contention. So we're talking about what, 2015, 2014, something like that? That's a while ago. It's a while ago. And he's still good. And if not, you know, the best we've seen him. Um, Jared Waltz, she's going to be taking over probably at some point in the season for Pujols at first base. Uh, Pujols probably going to move into some sort of quasi platoon between Walsh lefty and him righty at first and, you know, Otani lefty and Pujols righty at DH. Um, Walsh is also just like France, a polished guy going to really, really hit the ball. But I also think that the league's going to get to know him. And then I don't know how good he's going to do although he did move up fairly quickly and he was okay striking out to get to higher levels of power. So there is the possibility that the strikeout rate drop last year can be like a real thing, but then go away so that he can reach previous levels of power. So we could be sleeping on Walsh, but right now I have him as a polished play because he wasn't a top prospect. 
because he did perform at every level because he is a lefty and because the league doesn't know him. I expect him to do really well this season. Vlad Guerrero Jr. has completely transformed his physique. He was the most talented player that I've ever seen play live on an amateur level, like not, not in the pros, not in major league baseball, you know, and technically you're still a pro if you're in the minors, but anyone who's not been a big leaguer, uh, you know, I saw judge before he was a big leaguer. I saw Glaber before he was a big leaguer, uh, a bunch of people. I've seen a bunch of people, you know, Conforto, Alonso, uh, of, of everyone that I've seen Guerrero is the, by far the best hitter that I've seen. I think this year is the year where it finally shows up at the big league level. And I think it's going to kind of surprise people because I think Bo Bichette and I think Kevon Biggio and I think, you know, a couple, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, I think a lot of those, those three guys specifically, they're going to come way back to earth. And while they're coming back to earth, Loretis Uriel is going to be doing well. Rowdy Talese is going to be doing well. Uh, Vlad Guerrero is going to be doing well. So there's going to be like three guys going this way and three guys going that way. And um, I think it's going to kind of surprise people. You know, uh, I don't think a lot of people are that big on Talese. And I don't think, you know, that many people are, are as big as they should be on Guriel. Uh, and I think a lot of people are kind of soured on Guerrero because he hasn't done it immediately. Uh, Goldschmidt's still doing it. Uh, I got to give him a lot of credit. He lowered his strikeout rate last year so that he could maintain enough of a level of production to sustain, you know, 40% above league average. No, he doesn't have the kind of out of play power that he used to, but he really doesn't need to if he's doing what he's doing now that the Cardinals have Arenado. He's got all the Arenado's got all the out of play power you'd never need. Um, Goldschmidt can still play a, a fine first baseman, and uh, he can also really run the bases. So if you're looking at running the bases at a plus level for a first baseman, if you're looking at being a plus defender, if you're looking at being healthy, and if you're looking at finding a way to be a plus uh, hitter, no matter what happens, even if you are in decline, that's Goldschmidt great ball player tip my hat to him when a player like this at this stage finds ways to stay a good player I, I get really excited because that means in the big moments they can still be who they used to be and they found new ways to succeed so even in random normal moments they're going to be succeeding in more diverse ways that can help your roster and it'll be harder to account for because these are new adjustments um Moving on from Goldschmidt, we got the MVPs, Jose Abreu, Freddie Freeman. I don't need to say anything with either of those guys. Both of them are studs, have been for years. The only reason Abreu wasn't showing it was he had, he had very limited lineup protection. So he's still a good hitter, but not an elite hitter. Um, at least, you know, he is elite. Well, I say he's an elite hitter, but like the, the results weren't elite, if that makes sense. You know, underlying was the elite. And when the, the, the lineup protection came in, it came back out. Um, then you got Luke Voigt, monster for the New York Yankees, 40-plus home run hitter, probably 45 home run hitter. Um, perfect ballpark for him, perfect lineup for him. I don't want to talk too much on him, just great power hitter. You know, as a Yankee fan, I don't want to really dwell too much on the Yankees. Um, then you got Hosmer, who finally learned how to not only elevate the ball last year, but also pull the ball, which is what everybody was waiting for because he was hitting far too many balls to all fields and far too many ground balls, but he was hitting the ball really hard as a top prospect lefty that you thought with as much contact as he was making that at some point in time, he would start to confine the zone, hit more in the air, pull more. 
and you know more for power obviously which is now happening so Hosmer you know he's now the hitter he was a few years ago sure but instead of contact less contact in terms of well I won't say less contact what I'd say is more pulled contact which some of it becomes harder and out of play and because he's a lefty some of it is in the shift and the singles aren't singles anymore if that makes sense um so it's not like the contact tool has actually really gone down it's the usability of the contact tool that has kind of dropped a little bit um but i'm fine with that when the trade-off is power 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 you know uh it's not like he's not capable of hitting it to the opposite field it's just that you know this is the approach that's going to work for him most during regular at bats during the regular season like i think he'll go back to the old approach versus lefties as a lefty that would make sense to me uh just so he, that he keeps up the contact skill and is, is effective versus his own handedness which if you're becoming more aggressive versus lefties like he's going to be versus righties uh and has been last year versus righties i think lefties could really get him off balance there whereas if he keeps up the same approach i think he'll be fine um then you got hoskins and alonso who are very similar hitters uh they foul off pitches to get the pitches that they can drive i like alonso better but Hoskins also like he's been a peak hitter in terms of working the count to the maximum in terms of pulling the ball at, at the levels you need to and hitting the ball as hard as you need to, that there is a, a slight possibility that Hoskins goes like thermonuclear, but I don't see it. I have a bunch of friends that are Phillies fans and they kind of are like, well, he just fouls off pitches to get to a mistake pitch that he can crush. So even though his second half was awesome last year, if you break it down month by month, Hoskins each month of the year got worse. So, and also last year, 2019, despite the juice ball, he was only 17% above league average, despite the level of hitting that, you know, he at least has exhibited in the past or is, is known for. Uh, Pete Alonso did break the rookie home run record, you know, but he, he, he broke the rookie home run record in the juice ball season and his production fell off a cliff in the subsequent year. Although that's his sophomore slump, could be coming out of it this season. Um, and then you got Max Muncy, who came into the league as a polished play and really did well. Like the league didn't really know what to do against Max Muncy his first year. Second year, um, there was a little bit of a decline, but the decline was offset a bit by an approach change and offset a bit by uh, the juiced ball. And then when the juice ball went away, Max Muncy dropped off a cliff and he basically became a fastball hitter. That being said, baseball savant likes his numbers a little bit better than last year. He does have multi-positional versatility. He is a lefty. He's not a bad base runner. He does produce in big situations. So I couldn't completely drop him off the list. Moving on to catcher, Sal Perez finally emerged last year coming back from injury. He was absolutely okay being as aggressive as he needed to to get to the maximum level of power that he could. And he's also a stud defender. Uh, in my opinion, he's already taken Real Muto for number one catcher in the game because what he's doing is for real. And it's so much higher than what Real Muto's doing that I don't think, you know. And then the other thing is that Real Muto, as good as he is, he's peaking. This is his peak. He's plateaued. There's not any point where he's going to get better from this. This is, this is as good as Real Muto's going to get. Um, that being said, Real Muto still like as good of a defender as there is as good at throwing out runners as you can get as good a base runner as a catcher can be. And he's a very good hitter contact power. Um, 
You got Wilson Contreras, who the Cubs were reportedly trying to trade. Uh, I don't know why they try to do that. He's very young in what I think is going to be a very long career for Contreras. I think the offense for power is going to come, you know, back around further. Uh, I think the defense is going to get even better. He's a, he's definitely a guy who plays with a lot of energy and that plays up over time. Um, as in like, if, if you can catch with the level of energy and play defense and throw runners out with that kind of energy, you will sustain your, your physical tools because that kind of energy to keep that energy up, you have to, you have to be of a certain energy. You have to be of a certain uh, physicality, you know, it, if all of a sudden, like he was acting lazy with his throws and not getting all hyped and moving around a lot back there, if he was moving slowly, then I wouldn't think the defense would age well, but he's so active back there and involved that, you know, he has all the, la- the lateral mobility to stay at catcher long-term and he has the bat as well. And as an aggressive hitter, as he dials in the zone, more power will come. So I don't know why the Cubs are trying to deal him. Uh, I'd keep him long-term. Same thing with bias. Um, Travis Darno. Huge emergent season last year. I think he needed a shortened season like that as well because he has a history of not really making it through healthy seasons. So making it through a healthy short season and then making it through a healthy-er long season with the level of hitting that he's now sheer, like that's it's, it's clear he's capable of it. Uh, he could be one of the better players in the game. I have a little bit of hesitance because of the amount of injury history, but even in recent years, last four years, he's had – a healthy 2020 and then two other seasons i believe either in the last four years or the last five years he also caught uh 90 oh, no sorry 100 games twice and then 90 games a third of those seasons so will he get a full season of playing time for a catcher he will um now for other players you might want to play a bit more than like 95 games you know but for a catcher who only needs to really play 100 games playing about 95 games to 105 games with his level of offense, that's, that's, that's money for me. Uh, then you got James McCann who keeps getting better almost every single season. And now he's got like even more lineup protection at the bottom of a loaded Mets lineup. Love the move. Like it's fantastic. Yeah. Yasmani Grandal, who I'm not the biggest fan of. I, I, I do think he's a mistake hitter fouling off pitches to get the pitches he can hit, but he kind of has to be that way because he's a switch hitter phenomenal defender because of how good he is at a well-rounded catching game, sure, but specifically at pitch framing. So if you're bringing in young pitchers who are trying to learn control and command, and you have a guy like Grandall, can really upgrade your whole staff, hits for power, walks a lot. Um, so you can tell I'm not the biggest Grandall guy, but he's clearly one of the more valuable catchers in the game because pitch framing over a full year gives him unbelievable defense. Being a switch hitter and that healthy gives him unbelievable consistency. He does walk, so he gets on base for other people. He is capable of hitting for power, so if somebody's on base and he gets a mistake pitch, fouls off enough pitches to get to a mistake pitch, he'll do damage. But I just I'm not as big on him because I do see the decline. I do see a mistake pitcher or a mistake a mistake hitter rather uh, rather than uh, somebody who's going to be aggressive and able to hit everything in and around the strike zone. But I don't ding him too much there because as a switch hitter, it's kind of who he has to be. Uh, same swing from both sides. You need a patient approach for that to work. Um, so then you got Christian Vasquez, Red Sox catcher, phenomenal defense. I always compare his defense to Yaddy or Molina. He's more of a patient bat than Yaddy, more of a hot and cold hitter. Um, that being said, you're talking about catcher here, and you're talking about one of the best defensive catchers in the game here, who's also young. He could improve offensively. 
I don't mind hot and cold. Uh, don't really have too much else to say because uh, if you have that level of defense and you have anything close to a league average bat, especially if you're a hot and cold player, which means for extended stretches, you're a lot more than just league average. Usually later on in the season when your swing is in line and, and you have enough reps in, but you know, hot and cold nonetheless, I'm fine with it if it's at a position at like catcher or I'm fine with it if it's at any position, if they have great defense, but great defense and at catcher, you're looking at a rare talent, um, especially because he can keep getting better. Then you got Tyler Stevenson, top prospect for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, now, thing is with Stevenson is he's got a lot of polish. The league doesn't know him. And he's got an unbelievable zone contact tool, which since the league doesn't know him, I think he's going to parlay and sacrifice that in order to get to an elevated level of power because the league is going to be giving him more mistakes than he's used to because they don't know him and he's polished. I think once the league adapts to him, his offense is going to come right back down to earth and he'll be still above average hitter, but not like the great, great guy he's going to be this season. But this season, Tyler Stevenson is going to go off. Uh, Will Smith, another polished first catcher who I still think is an above average hitter. I don't think he is what he, what, you know, he's been for the first about 300 at bats of his career, because if you add up how many at bats that he got in 2019 to 2020, it's not even a full season. Um, it's, it's just under a full season. So I think he's going to be entering a sophomore slump, uh, for the majority of the year, because just under a full season, he'll be past that mark by the first month, maybe the second month of the year. And then for the remaining four months of the season, it's, it's going to be a transition because I do see him as a polish player, a player who used certain approaches to be able to get to uh, certain of his skills. That being said, I still see a guy who's 25% above league average and a workable catcher, even though he's not a stud at the, at the position. I still see a guy who's going to walk a lot and hit for power. Um, so that's good. Dodgers fans, you don't have to worry. The fall off's not going to be that dramatic. Then you got Gary Sanchez, who I think he's got to come in and, and prove himself. This is a guy who at the minor leagues had, you know, moments where the team doubted him and punished him for various reasons. Like he skipped a, a, a bullpen session when he was very young, a teenager, and they suspended him. And then there was a little bit of stagnant, uh, stagnance in his abilities uh, as he was moving around the double A level. And there was questions of maturity. And then shortly thereafter, he got married and had a kid and his production stepped up. So he had, he had to grow up, you know. Um, now he's been in the big leagues. He's done it at the big league level. But he hasn't done it consistently enough. And he is a second half player that people are beginning to doubt, it's, doubt if it's there. Because he would do well for, you know, building up what he needs to build up to outside of, you know, the health, uh, pulling balls, putting balls in the air. Uh, and then what would happen is midseason every year, Sanchez would get hurt. So I think now this year, you know, Sanchez knows if he doesn't get it together this year, the Yankees are going to move on. They're going to get a different catcher. And Sanchez is probably going to go play for like some other team. Like, I don't know what other team, but I don't think he wants to be a part of a different team. I think he wants to be a part of this championship run. Uh, I know that he's done a lot of work this offseason and he hit a ball today, not just over the center field batter's eye, but like the announcers were saying that not only was that, oh my God, over the batter's eye, that's incredible. But they were also saying 
for a bowl that was hit that far, it was unbelievable how high it went as well. Um, Sanchez has always had some of the best power in the game. Uh, when David Marshall put up his swing mechanics and swing studies uh, uh, work, one of the, the biggest takeaways for me was for people who don't really strike out a lot, Sanchez has one of the best swing speeds at point of impact of anyone in Major League Baseball. It's right up there with Stanton. It's right up there with Judge. It's right up there with Harper. So I think Sanchez has a really big rebound year. He has to. Otherwise, he loses his team. So big year, I think, coming from Sanchez. I don't care any of the Sanchez haters that exist that are out there. Y'all can join the, the freaking Houston Astros, you know? Join the cheaters. Like I said, I got to bring it up in every episode. I don't care what episode. Has to happen. All of them. Freaking was, cheaters. Again, I was like, we almost made it through. We almost no, made no, it no. It's, it's got it's to happen. Uh, so then you got Pedro Severino, who's probably going to get dealt mid-year because the Orioles got Adley Rutschman, but I don't think Adley's going to get more than like 100 at-bats at the big league level. I don't think there's a reason to do that. You also want to delay his service time, although they don't want to talk about that. I mean, look, here's the deal, okay? I do find that whole situation really funny with, uh, funny with, with Kevin Mather because he said everything that a front office says about players behind those players' back while he was being recorded and also in front of like, you know, basically a country club. Like, you know, you're being recorded and you're speaking to the fans about insider stuff that like, you don't really want to be like, it's okay that I'm talking about it. And it's okay. If you talk about it, Chris, the fact that they're delaying service time, because we know how the clubs operate, but, but for the clubs themselves to say, we're keeping you down, even though we know you're big league ready directly as somebody who owns the players paying the player that can be taken a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I do want to say, you know, Adley Rutschman, he's going to be kept down. He may be big league ready today even, but he's going to be in double A AA and triple A. And then he's going to be brought up probably for a little September call up. But until then, Pedro Severino's got his spot. And Pedro Severino basically put up the same numbers last year uh, as in the juice ball season in 2019. So he did technically get better there. But then when you break it down further, the last month of the season, Pedro Severino was hurt the entire month. So you want to discount those numbers. And then if you look at the first two months, he was like 30% above league average each month. And again, the first month was like seven days. So eh, whatever. But before the injury, he was like 30% above league average. And if you look at his baseball savant numbers that show what he should have hit, it shows that those were real. That, that's real numbers. He actually was that good. So I do think that Severino has a big year. And then as a catcher who can hit, they deal him. Now, he's not a great defender, but if you're a catcher who can hit like that, you're going to get some prospects, which is what the Orioles need. Um, and I think we can do – we can probably do DH, and we're going to have to cover left field, right field, center field. You know what? I'm going to – no, we'll do left field, right field, center field, and DH on the next one mm -hmm. just because, you know, we're running a little bit short on time. I'll, I'll finish off by doing third base here, and if we can fit it in, yeah, we'll do DH, but – Jose Ramirez, one of my favorite players in the sport. I also think he's one of the best players in the sport, one of the more interesting players in the sport. Switch hitter, one of, if not the best base runners in the sport, if you look at BSR. He is capable of stealing bases, but he's so smart on the bases that his regular BSRs are amongst the league leaders. Um, like I said, switch hitter, so he's even from both sides, but he also now knows how to pull the ball expertly. He's really turned himself into the maximum kind of power hitter that he could be. And then he's also a decent defender at both third and second base, although I doubt he ever plays second base again. 
he's such a good overall hitter that he's like 40% regularly above league average in a good year, in a normal year for him. And the one year he had like a down season, my guy builds a baseball diamond in the backyard of his house so he can play ball every day and practice all day, every day. This guy's a baseball nut. He's all about it. It makes no surprise. It's not, it is no surprise to me that this is a guy who is a non-prospect and he's turned himself into a top 10 player. He's done it all because he loves the game that much. You got you to gotta take your hat off to someone like that, you know? Um, then you got Anthony Rendon, former Washington National, can run the bases, can hit for power, can play good defense. He used to be able to play second and third, but then he started having injury issues. So they left him at third and he stayed healthy. And now he's one of those guys where like, you could expect him in any random year to go 300, 400, 500 between average on base percentage and slugging percentage. Um, moving on from Rendon, you have Manny Machado, who reported as one of the best defenders in the sport. And when he tries, he's one of the best defenders in the sport. And when he tries, he's one of the best hitters in the sport. And last year in a shortened season, he was trying all year, one of the best players in the sport. Like this is a guy who, when he tries, is as good as anyone on earth. You know, he got comps to A-Rod, like coming up, up through the minors. I see it. He's one of, like, I've just done defensive plays that like are so incredible that just, it blows my mind. And I was a good defender, man. I played good defense. Um, like this guy, he does things at the big league level that even I couldn't do when I was playing good defense amateur. Um, that being said, Manny Machado is one of the only players that I can ever remember, like ever, who consistently turns doubles into singles because of how little he hustles. Like he had a bad, I believe it was 2019 or 2018. It was leading up to uh, when he signed. Um, and it was almost all off of just lack of effort. He was just kind of coasting. And I, no, no, it was the first year he signed his big contract and then he coasted. It was like one of his years with Baltimore, they weren't really a competitive season. Uh, and, 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 and he coasted. And, and, and when, you, when Machado's coasting, he's seven to 17% above league average, which is good, especially with elite defense. But when you know the guy can be 45% above league average, it's a bit of a disappointment. Then you got Nolan Arenado, who, yes, he's leaving the friendly confines of Colorado but he's also joining a lineup with lineup protection as the Cardinals. You got Donaldson who uh, has re-upped with, he's, he's still with the twins uh, walking a little bit more than he used to. I think over a full year, more power comes. He becomes more naturally aggressive. I think he's the same guy. Good defender. Same guy as always. Same thing with Justin Turner. It's kind of the national league, Josh Donaldson. Um, both of them were late bloomers, swing change guys. Uh, Donaldson started at catcher actually, whereas Turner still stayed at third. But Turner was a complete swing change guy, whereas Donaldson taught himself the swing change. It was uh, Justin Turner had the swing, swing change taught to him. Uh, talking about swing change, guys, Gio Urshela, another third baseman who got a massive swing change. He joined the Yankees, and they completely changed his swing. They changed his launch angle, and he basically now has roughly the same swing, except for the, the front leg movement, that Luke Voigt has. Now, I wonder if, if Urshela could do that, but honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't press it. What he has works for him in every way you need it to. Then you got Chris Bryant fell off because of his bat path and an injury last year. Great defender, great base runner, great power hitter. You got Yon Mankata, 
who's a great defender, great base runner, power hitter, fell off a little bit last year with the juiced ball going away. I think he needs to be more confident and more aggressive, which in the White Sox lineup with protection, they're going to be able to afford. You got Austin Riley, who I think is going to have a big breakout season for the Braves. He started to show signs last year, especially dropping his strikeout rate. Devers with the Red Sox. He's the same guy he's always been. He just needs to adjust to the new ball. Chapman coming back from hip surgery, still a great defender, although I don't think he's quite the hitter he used to be, at least next year. It'll take a bit for him to recover it. He, he will. He has the bat speed for it. It's right up there with Stanton. Swing speed, point of impact, David Marshall research. Um, Eduardo Escobar, switch hitter for the Diamondbacks. Switch hitters need the second half to be able to fully be themselves. He didn't get that last season. It's the only reason he had a down year. Eugenio Suarez had a shoulder surgery before the season. That's why his power was down. Came back last month of the season. Evan Longoria, he's being completely prevented from contributing by the ballpark. His ballpark is literally eating him alive. If you brought Evan Longoria to a lineup with protection um, to a better ballpark, he would have like a LeMayhew season where like he'd right go back to his peak years. Like LeMayhew went back to his best year ever with Colorado. And that's third base. I think the next one will we'll, we'll get done left mm-hmm. field, right field, and center, center field and DH, those four, just to finish this off. But that's like a good hour of content there, Chris, huh? Mm-hmm. That, that was great. That was, that was amazing. Yeah, and that, that's information on the entirety of the infield in baseball. Catcher, first base, second base, shortstop, mm-hmm. and third. So there you go. Before we go, actually, everyone, don't forget March 8th, our first live stream. Yeah, get in on that. We can talk about all of this on there. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's talk. Let's get into it. Our first live stream, March 8th. That's next week on a Monday. Yes, sir. And don't forget, check the link to this pod. Well, check in the description of this podcast. And for future podcasts as well, because I'm going to be dropping the link to our newsletter that has all the information, what we're listening to, what we're watching, and any episodes you might have missed. And I mean, stay tuned. Yeah, like honestly, we got a bunch of content coming. And then, of course, my content with Baseball Guy Sean. Check that out on YouTube as well.